hunting, fishing, and all things outdoors. It's not just a hobby, it's a lifestyle. Welcome to the Green Top Outdoors podcast with your host, Hunter Brooks. Hey, thanks for listening to the Green Top Outdoors podcast. We have a wonderful guest today. His name is Matt Knox. He is a uh, wildlife biologist from the Virginia DWR. He's been doing this for almost 30 years. Lots of knowledge here. Stay tuned. This is going to be a great show. The Green Top Outdoors podcast is brought to you by the Mike Chenault Group, Hometown Realty. They are sportsmen and realtors. The only thing they love more than hunting and fishing is selling great pieces of land and homes. Dream homes on the river where you can fish right from your dock to land where you can adventure to your heart's content. Hometown Outdoors can help you find it. Let our friends at the Mike Chenault Group help you get the outdoor space you need. For homes or land in Central Virginia, visit hookupwithhometown.com. That's hookupwithhometown.com and click outdoors to learn more. Thanks, everybody, for listening today. Uh, so we got a special guest. We got Matt Knox from the DWR, formerly Virginia Department of Game and Inland Fisheries. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks for being on here. And uh, Andrew Napier is here uh, as my sidekick today, and we're going right. to talk deer, aren't we, Matt? Uh, yes, we are. Uh, how long have you been, uh, I guess, you've been in the business for about 30, 30 years now? Uh, uh 35 or more in the business. I've been the deer program coordinator in Virginia uh, next month. A couple months will be 29 years. I've been here wow. almost 30 years in Virginia as deer biologist. Well, we're lucky We're lucky in Virginia to have you because uh, I feel like a lot of progress has been made over the last several decades in Virginia, and I think the, the hunting is some of the best it's probably ever been. Um, I think the DWR is doing a wonderful job. Uh, I know there's a lot of new faces in the in, in the DWR now, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of changes possibly coming, which is good. Um, but I guess what we wanted to do is just really, if we're going to talk deer, let's start. Uh, we're going to drill you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I might pass this. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we're hopeful. So we wanted to kind of get into the this just the biological things about deer, you know, and I know you've written several nice nice articles about deer, just kind of the the day in the life of a deer. Uh you you just mentioned not long, you know, a few minutes ago about an article you wrote um uh it kind of breaks things down by season, is that right? Correct. So uh I guess let's just start there. All right. Uh I've got a series of four articles, and maybe we could post something so people, if they wanted to, I could make the articles available. But the season we're in now, of course, is summer, and I call this the season of the fawns because uh, there's two things going on in the deer world. The females are raising the young of the year. Uh, they'd have had those fawns back around late May or early June. Those fawns are getting some size to them now. They'd be, what would this be, about eight weeks old? Yep. So uh, they're beginning to move around with the mothers, and you see them. They're, they're getting a little bit bigger. They get a lot more active. Uh, so it's the season of the fawns, and of course, you know they're 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 beautiful to see with the little white spots and all and the long legs. Uh, while the females do all the work raising the fawns, the bucks actually do nothing other than eat and grow antlers. Uh, My man, <laughs> <laughs> they live in they live in bachelor groups, and these bachelor groups are constantly changing. You know, structure. They're not always the same guys in the bachelor group today as there might be tomorrow. You know, that where'd Hunter go? Uh, yeah. Where'd Hunter go? Oh, Hunter's left. He'll be back next week. Okay. Right. Where's, where's Andrew? Well, Andrew's gone forever. Or whatever. Yeah. So there's <laughs> Andrew this, got hit by a Mack truck. There's yeah. a shifting, shifting structure of these buck, uh, buck bachelor groups, and literally all they're doing is eating and growing antlers. 
so there, those buck basher groups are just a bunch of different deer uh, associating with each other. They're not genetically related. Conversely, the doe groups where they're raising these fawns are genetically related. The basic group of a deer uh, family is a doe group, a matriarchal older doe, her offspring, and all their offspring. Right. You know, it might be anywhere from two to twelve deer. When you see those groups, you're looking at a family. Right. I mean, they're linear hmm. families. When you look at that buck of group, you know, a group of six bucks in the summer. You're probably looking at six different families. Six so. right. strangers, not necessarily six brothers. Or yeah, cousins. Well, okay. it could, there could be brothers in there, but yeah, you're looking at okay. you're looking at. And they range in different ages. The bucks would. I oh mean, yeah, they could be, uh, you know, a year and a half, two year and two and a half to maybe six, Se- seven, six or seven. Okay. What happens though is these 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 female family groups when the bucks turn when they're a year and a half old, the doe. Or, or the rut, or just nature itself, they'll disperse and leave that family group. So it stays. It's almost an all-family female family group, except for male fawns. Right. But when the male fawns get a year and a half old, they tend to disperse to a new home range. Okay. So that's the summer. Which will be a fawn born spring twenty twenty will now get kicked out this fall. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. And and start his own year, buck, eight, start his own old. buck life. Yeah, eighteen okay. months old, about eighteen months old. Yes, yeah, so that's exactly right. Now. In the next, in, in mid-August through mid-September, because the days start getting shorter, these deer begin to change, especially the bucks. And you'll the the shorter days, they'll shed, they'll start shedding their coats and shed their antler velvet. And what that is is because their testosterone levels are begin to increase. Their testosterone levels are, are controlled by the length of day. Okay, so the shorter the day, the, the more testosterone. The day, testosterone starts increasing, and right. they'll they'll shed from the red coat to their grayer brown. You, right. get, you can get in an argument about what color they are yeah. in the fall. <laughs> yeah. But they'll change to that gray coat. And what happens is as soon as they shed and start shedding out of velvet, that bachelor group breaks up. And they become, you know, independent Almost contractors. Almost instantly. Overnight. Okay. Yeah. okay. And that's when they start rubbing trees. And, and what they start doing is they start sparring and creating a peck, like a social structure, a okay. pecking order. Okay. Hunter's dominant, you know, over Matt. Matt's dominant over Andrew, or you know whatever that sure. system is, and, right. they, and they they spend about a month or so creating that social structure. So and that's it, not an overnight process. That's oh, a no, couple no. fights and a couple spars. Well, it, it's <clears throat> fights are not common, but uh, sparring is fairly common, okay. and that's just me. That's like you, us with little boys in the kindergarten arm wrestling. Right. Mm-hmm. So some of it's playing. But, but is it more it's, it's, establishing it's dominance? A, it's playing with, a, with, with, intent. Reason, with intent. Yeah. Right. It's, arm wrestling is a good example. Because what they want to know is when the rut comes, the breeding season, who's boss? Right. Who I, who I should not mess with. Absolutely. <laughs> you should not mess with. And it, I don't want to interject, but is all that due to size of antlers? Or oh, is no. It, no. Is it equal size and strength of the body in experience versus uh, just pure brute strength in a three? Don't four get me wrong. Deer? Size – is a part of it, but it's more the dog in the fight. Okay, right. You follow me? Yep. You know, the, biggest, like the biggest bug is not the dominant bug. Sure, could be, but it's not by default. Okay. It might look the part, but it might it's, not it's, necessarily it's, be this. Yeah. So uh, they create that social structure into the early when is to the transition of the fall, and then you just say, let's say late September and uh, early October. You know, you could say that's sort of the beginning of the rut, although it's the very beginning of it. You know, they start making all these signs, all these, they'll start scraping. And of course, the scraping will build up in through October into November, and the peak of the rut's generally about mid November. That's the breeding season. So you had the summer of the fawns, now you're going into the breeding season or the rut, you know, deer in a rut. 
and, and, and t- unless you've been a deer hunter, I can't explain the rut to people because the social structure of deer is, is, is very stable over most of the year. During the rut, it's completely out the window. Yeah. You know, the bucks are out, independent contractors. It's does come into estrus. You know, that family group breaks up while she's being chased for a couple of days and bred. And, uh, and if you've ever seen it, it, it almost explains itself. Yeah, you know, a lot of people say they've never seen the rut. I always say the rut's like a circus. When you're out there, when you're there's out so there, much you, going on. There's so much going on. Yep. When you see it, it's like there's just deer going around, and they're not acting normal. It's like they're agitated or yeah. nervous or something. I always say they're acting foolish. Yeah. You know? And so, uh, you know, that's going on. And that builds the rut in Virginia over most of the state is, like I say, around mid-November a little earlier. But what you'll see is the, and we got really, really good data in our bow hunter survey. When the archery season starts in early October, bucks are visible, but their visibility goes up and up and up, and it peaks the uh, first two weeks of November. You follow me? Right. The archers out there, and they see so many bucks per hour, but it, they see more bucks per hour, and they see more bucks per hour, and then they see more bucks per hour. And the last two, the first two weeks of November, which actually overlap between archery and early muzzle in the state of Virginia, is when buck visibility is at its maximum. That's the rut. That's these bucks going around, trolling, whatever, you know, seeking, looking for, you know, females uh, for the breeding season. Right. And what's the doe's life? As the buck's life gets harder, what's the doe's life like around the same, you know, October 20 to November 10 window? Uh, primarily just take – just try not to be harassed and, and eating. You follow me? Right. Until they, until they come into breeding, uh, you know – Believe fully or, into estrus when they come into estrus most people don't know it but when they come into estrus there's a there's a sharp release of estrogen with the uh ovulation of the eggs from the ovaries that uh estrogen is a huge stimulant i mean just like a just a huge like stimulant a bomb going off yeah and so they so for a day or two before they are bred they're extraordinarily active it'd be uh, you know, like speed, I guess is you know right. not that I'm recommending speed. <laughs> uh, so they're very active just right before that. That's why you see them moving. And of course, they, they you know, of course a buck finds them and tends them and guards them and so forth. And then they breed. You know, after that, the doe's life goes back to normal. Uh, Pretty much after that, November fifteen, November twenty. Oh yeah, by, by they, December first, they're they're totally okay. back to well, their a good back in- to their group of does with all their fawns and so forth and, and when so their on. estrus comes in the first time october 20 roughly no a little bit later okay now. so say whatever day it may be november 1 november 5 november 1 to 15 is there okay are they kicking their young bucks and young does out of their natural cycle or is it kind of fizzle out on their own is that 18 month old deer is now on his own does he do that on his own or she kick him out he dispersed earlier. He, okay. dis- he dispersed back in like September. And what about the fawn? It's uh, the doe fawn. It's the same age. She'll be around, but she has a trouble keeping up with her mother because her mother's constantly being harassed. Okay. I mean, don't get me wrong; they, they break up, but it's not an intentional. So breakup. it's not as much removing the fawn as it is just cat and mouse until she gets bred, and then the yeah. fawn comes back. Exactly. Okay. Which is is a great indicator for anybody who's kind of new to hunting. If you're muzzleloading, if you see a doe by herself. Uh, good, good, good indication that there could be a buck fairly close behind it. Or, I mean, do you? I mean, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, you know, believe it or not, if you if you deer hunt enough, and of course, I'm speaking to experienced deer hunters, you can learn to tell an old doe from a young middle aged sure. doe from yeah. a young mm-hmm. doe. Mm-hmm. So just by the shape and their neck and their heads and all. Yep. But uh, yeah, the the thing is, during that last two weeks of October and first two or three two weeks of November, the deer society sort of scattered. 
Mm-hmm. Now it'll come back together very quickly after that. And the society's run by the mature does, mature bucks. Mature does. Mature does. They rule the roost. Okay. It's, a matri- it's a matriarchal society. I've always yeah. believed. Well, I've always <laughs> believed. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. a good way to, to, to put it because I've, yeah, no. I've always been under the impression that the does control everything. They do. Yep. They do. And the bucks just fall in where they fall in. They just, the bucks just want to breed. Sure. You know, they, <laughs> <laughs> much, much yeah. like a whole bunch of people. Yeah, but, uh, so, uh, but the, the, the breeding dates, and it's interesting you mentioned the dates. The best time to deer hunt in the state of Virginia is obviously the first two weeks of November and possibly the third week. Yeah. And that's because of that rut. Somewhere in there it's going to fall. Uh, now, in Virginia, and I can't tell you why exactly, but there's enough data that I believe this. The rut, if the rut changes in Virginia, it does not change north and south. It changes east and west. And it would be earlier mm. east and later west. Later west, okay. And that, uh, one of our coworkers, he's got a very good hypothesis. If you drive around the state, it greens up from east to west. Okay. It gets greener over in Carolina than it does in Charlottesville, than it does at Afton Mountain, it does, it does in Bath County. You know, right. there's a progression. Sure. And that makes sense because you want fawns to hit the ground at the best possible time for their survival. Right. So we're through the rut. The rut's over. Deer life settles back down. The bucks, uh, an adult buck can lose 20 percent or more of his body weight during the breeding season chasing these you know all this behavior uh they settle back down for the winter winter is just a time of survival uh they just got to get through the winter you know a buck can lose a lot of weight uh there's there's not much to eat in the winter time for a deer so it's primarily there when you know during the fall they eat these acorns if there's acorns available they're going to eat mass because what the what acorn is is just like a little potato chip. It's almost all carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. So by eating a lot of the mast and any other foods, soft mast or whatever, they put on weight and put on fat. And in the, in the fall, deer grow in the spring and summer. They do not grow in the fall. They just need energy. You follow me? Right. They, they just sustain in the yeah, fall. Yeah, they, they're not going to grow weight. And right. They're not going to grow bigger and taller and heavier. You know, will they put on weight? Yeah, they put on fat layers. And they're putting on that fat layer in the fall to get through the winter. You know, yep. December, January, February, March. So the winter is just really a time of survival. The good news is in Virginia, we don't have any, much or any winter mortality because our deer herd's healthy and habitat's healthy and so forth and so on. But in certain years, we've had like uh, very cold winters. We'll have a mass failure in the fall, a very cold winter, then late snowstorms, and we've had mortality events. Well, we have deer mm. die just from starvation, but luckily those are very uncommon. So they get through the winter. Uh, winter is just a time of you know just laying low. Sometimes they don't move. They don't move a lot at all. They only move to, to eat because they're just trying to save energy. I mean, you can think of, if you're out there, you know it's cold. You got to if you're moving, you're burning energy. You've only got so much stored. Safe to say, too, late in the season, they're gonna they're gonna lay or bed very close to a food source. Just. Probably, I mean, yeah. Depending on the environment, their circle is sure. going to slowly get smaller and smaller as the weather gets colder. Is that more yeah. likely? Well, if you ever see a heavy snow, for a lot of times, for four, three or four days after heavy snow, they hardly move at all. People right. go out there and they don't see any tracks. There's no deer. Right. Well, they just, they just, just not down. moving. They're just not going to move. Correct. Right. Because it costs more energy to move than to stay still. Right. And, of course, that takes them through the winter. And, of course, late winter. The spring, of course, is a time of plenty. You know, the, everything greens up. The food's the most abundant, succulent, palatable, nutritious, everything that it's ever going to be. So that's when they start growing again. And, of course, those you know, are about to have fawns. So they're in the third trimester, their energetic demands go up enormously. Right. You know, bucks are going to start growing antlers because they shed their antlers back in late December, January, February, whenever. And so then the cycle starts again. 
Okay. Um, can well, let's back up to uh, uh, bucks and velvet. I had a couple questions. Do bucks really eat the sheds off of there? Absolutely. Is it very very nutritious, or is it just? It's just normal. Just normal. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, does uh, sometimes eat the placenta after they give birth. Okay. But yeah, I've seen bucks shed out. And the thing about when they shed, and they'll shed between August fifteenth and September fifteenth yeah. in the state of Virginia. And it usually it's within 20, 24 hours. It's gone. gone. The velvet's gone. Now sometimes a piece gets stuck. Sure, you, you sure. Kill a deer in hunting season, it still has a strap of uh-huh. velvet. But yeah, right. it, it comes off in twenty four hours. Right. And it's bloody. I mean, it's red, bloody, and and so forth and so on. But yeah, uh, I've seen them eat velvet, and it's, hmm. that's a fairly common behavior. Okay. I don't think there's any biological reason you follow me right. it just is yeah, yeah it just it just is uh a lot of people used when i was a kid they thought they'd r- rub trees to get the velvet off of right course, that's not it's why they're rubbing trees at all the velvet comes off on its own right now yeah. as soon as it comes off they start rubbing trees like crazy oh yeah but those trees are like advertisements in the woods i'm here and when they're rubbing them they're actually rubbing the top of their head and there's a thing called a forehead gland and they're actually putting a s- scent chemical pheromone on those rubs and that rubs those rubs are a visual visual clue you can see them from 100 yards oh, yeah. 50 25 100 yards away to how big they are right but on that tree there's a there's a chemical clue that makes the does cycle all at the same it, it synchronizes estrus okay. and the does everything falls right. into place yeah so they don't so they don't come into estrus you know helter skelter over a long time because you want you want them to all come into estrus just as quickly as they can so right. you have that birth pulse back 200 days later uh i have a quick been documented in a lot of species question. yeah so it's a two-part is he scratching his head because the blood is leaving his antlers and going into the rest of his body i think that's a common misconception that he's he's itching but he's more spreading his scent he's, that he's, he's scratching an itch. He, of course he doesn't know what he's doing sure yeah what he's doing is is putting chemical clues a visual advertisement with a chemical clue okay and that chemical clue Helps synchronize estrus. I'll it's give you not an, scratching an itch; it's spreading. No, it's scent. got nothing to do with scratching okay. itch. That's that's. I, I think mean, it's, it's a common it's, misbelief it's, too. It's driven by hormones and whatever. But I'll give you an example: in these sheep and goats, you can take a. You, they call it the ram effect. And if you have a bunch of ewes and there's no ram around, they just come in and out of estrus like light bulbs popping off and on. But if you put a ram in there, they all start cycling together. Uh-huh. Well, you don't even have to take the ram. You can take and wipe a towel on his head. And put it in that barn with those ewes, and guess what? They start hmm. cycling. They start cycling. It's the, it's the smell okay. of the ram. The pheromones or you know, the, the chemical communication. Same thing with deer. That's the, what's on that rub. The second part to my rub question, the bigger the tree, the bigger the Abs- deer? Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. No question about that? None. <laughs> when, you go, when you go out there and see a tree as big as your leg, That's your, a monster. your thigh, you're looking at a big old deer. Cool. Yeah. And okay. It, and a big deer, I'm sure, can still rub a small tree. Oh, absolutely. But absolutely. But little. You're looking at 8, 10, 12 inch trees, that's a big deer. Absolutely. And they favor one tree over the other? They like aromatic species. I mean, you, you'll see them rub the same species over and over cedars, pines. You see a lot of you know, cedars. There's some, yeah. there's some trees you never see them rub. It's, it's aromatic. Okay. You know, okay. It's kind of if you scraped it with your knife, you'd, you could smell it. Okay. So we hmm. talked about, we were getting into the later part of the, the, the hunting season. Um, traditionally, uh, it's tough to find a mature buck that time of year. Um, it's what's so we what's their mindset? Is it survival at that point? Oh yeah, mature bucks. And uh, this is just a Matt Knox opinion, but outside of the rut, they're immortal to to hunters. Right. You know, uh, 
they've, if they've survived two or three years, they've learned how to, to avoid hunters. Cause if they didn't, they'd be shot. You know, there's, there's very few deer hunters in the state. And I realize I may be sitting with two of them. They're going to pass up a three year old buck. Right. Once it gets to three and a half, the average deer hunter in Virginia is going to shoot that oh, yeah. deer. Sure. So if they survived at that time, they've learned some set of skills to avoid hunters. When the rut comes in, they completely forget about those skills for two or three weeks. Sure. You can, find, you can see them out in the middle of a field at noontime yeah. chasing the doe. He wouldn't have done that two weeks earlier, and you know he's not going to do it two weeks later. So it's, you know, don't get wrong, people kill those big old bucks all through the season. But if you look at it, it's a bell curve, and the top of that bell oh, curve yeah. is the first two weeks, of, you know, first three weeks of November. Okay. Now, when they, uh, other than that foolish time of the year for them, where they would slip up, uh, and you know they tend to hide out or they go nocturnal, however, however you want to call it, both. Both. Is that is that an is that a genetic instinct that they have, or is that something that they learn from older bucks? Is that I mean, it's, I think it's just innate. It's just they just you know they. It's part of what they are. Yeah, if you think about it, it wouldn't be that hard to avoid hunters because people always say it's like they know it's deer season. Well, uh, Duh. yeah, exactly. I mean, do you know the difference between a funeral and a wedding? Sure. Right, you right. Know, sure. You know, the, the woods change just overnight. So, you yeah. know, a lot of times these bucks, and people don't believe this, they'll just hide up in a really small area. Right. But they know that area is a refuge. And, you know, outside of the rut, they'll just lay in that refuge. Now, during the rut, they completely they completely throw caution to the wind. Their, their, their instinct to breed and reproduce overcomes Takes that. over all takes fear. A, takes all, over everything. All fear. Okay. But, uh. Well, like we, you know, Andrew and I were talking the other day, and we've seen it. We've, you know, we've jumped deer into certain places. Sometimes you, you you find them in the least likely. They're hiding in plain sight, whatever you want to call it. But they tend to stay around water. Uh, do, I mean, is that is that a common theme statewide that you that you can agree with that that oh, is it as a defense mechanism? And or? Is that a common trait with mature deer? I would say yes. Uh, for mature bucks, where you have like swamps, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, find and a high, 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 high ground. See or, where I live, there are no swamps. But right. I'm, from, I'm from South Georgia. I was born right in the middle of Okefenokee Swamp. So an area like that, yeah, they'll go into those swamps and get find an island or something yeah. and just lay in there, a little high piece of ground oh, or absolutely, something. Absolutely, yeah, and, absolutely. And seek refuge for the remainder of the winter through there, or maybe their whole life, just during deer season yeah. until, until the. You know, the funeral's over and the until wedding the begins. Stops. Yeah, okay. yeah, until, <laughs> until the shooting stops. Yeah, until <laughs> they realize it's safe again. But okay. Yeah. Uh, and I that's mean, not that, a... That, but think about it. That's just it's so simple to think. Sure. If, if, yeah. if that deer walks in front of a hunter, what happens? He dies. Right. right. I mean, it's, so what does he do? He he acquires behaviors that keeps him from walking in front of hunters. Right. right. And that, uh, that swamp-type deer, the water deer, call him, everyone has their own opinion on him. Does he live and die in the water? Does he live his whole seven, eight, ten years in the water? Do you think he oh, no, finds just, it early just in his hunt life? Season. Yeah, just yeah. in the hunt season. And some of the traits that would make you believe one way or the other, you know, some of them are shorter antler growth. They may have the width and they may have the mass, but they don't have quite the same height. Or they're almost a medieval-looking deer, a lot of knobby horns, a lot of gray bodies. Is that something that they can pick up year to year? Or at least the color in their coat, you see a lot of swampy deer are grayer or darker. You know, when I was raised, it's funny you mentioned that because they used to call these black-faced deer swamp deer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, of course, that's just natural variation in a population. I mean, look at me. I'm white-headed. One day y'all will be white. You follow me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't look 13 anymore. Y'all don't look 13 okay. anymore. Yeah. So, you know, that's just individual variation. Uh, I don't think there's any different color variation between these deer and other deer or their antlers or anything. Uh, you know, uh, I remember hunting down in Prince George County one time in the evening, 
and these deer kept coming toward me and I, it took me two or three before I realized but they, they looked like Oreo cookies they were dark on the bottom and light on the top what they had done is they had been in a swamp and they had walked out through the water yeah and all three bucks I saw had this water line on them. You yeah. follow me? It took oh, yeah. me two or three deer. I realized, ah, I know what they do. They've been back there. Now yeah. they're coming out of this soybean field. Yeah. The soybean field was back behind me. Okay. So none of that's that's not a – that would be more of a genetic trait than a swamp trait. Yeah, it'd be related just to genes and the gene pool, okay. not so much to the – but, yeah, if there's swamps around, they will use swamps. I know several people that – a lot of people have documented that. Well, it, it, it kind of answers one of my questions, too, is like the amount of – does the amount of pressure put on a deer itself, whether it's a buck or a doe, uh, determine its behavior or how it acts? And I mean, oh, obviously, it, 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 it must. And that, absolutely. You know, that can yeah. naturally push them towards the water or towards the islands it, or toward it, the remote places. It, yeah, exactly. Uh, it moves them to the cover. They, That's why. They, it, when, they, when there's pressure on them, they go to cover. Now, if they, if they live in a place, like, you know, all over Virginia this happens. There's, there's refuges where deer aren't hunted. It could be a state park. It could be anything. You follow me? Yep federal property I, you know it could be anything you know the deer that live in that area over time learn especially the does that when hunting season starts all they got to do is get to that area yeah get they'll, bread they'll, get they're in. literally moving there the night before that day that morning hmm. and they'll stay there you follow me yeah because they just realize it's like when we used to play kickball what was it home base or something where you were safe yeah they identify safe well places. do you think yeah. the 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 Difference scents in the woods that are starting to they're starting to smell is that's what's pushing Car doors, them to do that. The signs going out checking yep. cameras, all that tree stands. I mean, like I say, it's just nope, time to get out of here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. not time to get out of here. Time to move to the time to, time move. to move to area A yeah. or B, whatever you know, because yeah. I will be safe there. I'm not going to be safe here. And if right. some of that action is pre-rut, do you think they move for the day and come back? And then as the rut comes in and as the the, the pressure comes in, they always. Re- Kind of go back to their home base. They always go back to that home ground. So you may bump them for today, and you go back tomorrow, check your camera, you got another picture. He'll eventually work his way either towards that area or away from that area, as about, the pressure implies. Uh, these bucks, these does will go to these refuges more than these bucks. These okay. bucks just find little refuges. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be a quarter, half acre. You follow me? Yep. Hunters could be walking by it every day, but they never walk. There's certain areas, and you're a deer hunter. I wouldn't walk in there for $100. Yep. You have right. no idea what's living in there. <laughs> well, yep. Where would, where would you like? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I ain't going to go in, you know. Sure. I ain't going in there. Right. <laughs> this is real quick. Do you think the deer as a whole have the ability to reason? I'm not doing this because of this. No. I don't. Okay. No. no. They I, learn, I think they had. I think they learn from experience, but I don't sit there, sit there and think like you're, you know, you're, that's thinking like a person. Correct. That's what you need to think. People do that to all animals, especially dogs and cats or pets. Deer think like deer. People think like people. Yep. You know. Yep. Deer have hearing that's very similar to ours. Their their eyesight's very different than ours. Yep. You follow me? Mm-hmm. And no, I don't think they. I don't think they make deductive. You know, deduct. You know, if a a equals b and b equals c, then a equals c. Correct. And I don't either. I was, they, they don't. I was they, glad don't we they don't. That. They don't yeah. linear. Right. Think like that, but okay. their nose, their nose is their most in their their, their sense of smell is. Oh my is gosh, it. it's, it's it's incredible. Yeah, if they smell you, you're done. Yeah. Uh, um, equal so. to or greater than a dog. Uh, you know, I don't know. It depends on the breed of dog. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've had some dogs that yeah couldn't. No, there's there's sense of smell. Their sense of smell is thousand times or more better than humans i mean okay. humans for all practical purposes can't smell i mean we smell chocolate chip cookies and yeah. pizzas and poops and isn't it crazy we, how you can smell a running buck or oh yeah but you they can, smell like you a can, goat. yeah and you can smell um 
a recognizable smell for me is like a, is a fox. It smells like cat piss. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and I can smell him. Just imagine what he can smell when I walk through the door. Oh, yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Well, you know, these deer, and, and this is what people don't understand, and I've seen this, they can walk through the woods at night when there's no there's no danger. You follow me? They realize night's sort of home base. Mm-hmm. And they can walk through the woods at day and figure out where you came in, where you walked, where you walked to. Mm. You follow me? I mean, they can sit there and just make a map in their mind. He, came, he comes in here. He, he walks this way. He goes to there. I remember several – it's been a decade ago now, but I, I had a tree standing in a tree. And I figured, well, that's the wrong tree. And I moved about 20, 30 yards over. Three or four days later, this little buck comes up. And he stopped at that tree and sniffed around and sniffed up. And I'd mean, been three or four days away from that wow. tree. But he's sitting there four days later. Yeah. Smell okay. There was you know there was a person here. Something was here. Something yeah. was yeah. I think they learned to identify people smell with people. Sure. Like we yeah. smell skunks, foxes with foxes, skunks. That's with that's two good points. It, one would be you're adding pressure on a deer that you've never even seen. Oh yeah. Just by being in, in able in order to kill a deer, you have to be where deer are. So you have to add pressure, whether it's good pressure or bad pressure, to, to be able to harvest a deer. Yeah, you got to go in the woods. You walking in at six a.m. and him smelling you the next day at six p.m. You've added pressure to a deer that you never even knew existed. Oh, absolutely! You just can't help. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and that pressure may be either offensive or non-offensive versus some other pressure. So he may leave, he may stay, but you're you're interrupting a deer that you've never even heard of. I, you know, I shoot a lot of does, and uh, my man, <laughs> and I'll, I'll hunt an area for a day or so, and then I'll move four hundred yards away. And I watch these deer come through the woods, and you can see them. It's this bird dog in that area yeah. I was two days ago. Yeah. Like, I mean, just watching it and watching it, looking at it, and just realizing that. And now area. you've got a new point yeah, of view. Yeah, I've moved, yeah, I've moved yep. from A to B, you know, two or, you know, 400 yards, let's say. But, I mean, they will watch that spot like the devil, you know, was over there last week. And, uh, I mean, they, you know, I never saw them. Yeah. You follow me? Yeah. I mean, you know, they, but they, they know I was there. They so, to, to touch on that. I know you can't hide from a deer. A thousand times better than us. You know, equal or greater than a dog. You can't hide from the wind. You can't hide from the deer. With some sense, is there anything that's more or less offensive to the deer to, to keep them from moving out, or it just is what it is, and he's just, the deer's just smarter than we are? Well, you're talking about like a like a, about like a buck Kind of some cover or? scent, or, and like you said, they have a recognition with human scent and, and, and human activities that I don't know if there's any lures or cover scents that can really help you. Is there anything that you found that's maybe a little more or less offensive to keep them around? You know, you can talk to the archers. They get into washing their boots and, you know, the clothes. And scrubbing and underwear. And all that. Yeah. But I'm convinced a deer smells like – a person smells like a skunk to a deer. Okay. You follow me? Yep. I mean, they just – don't get me wrong. You can reduce it. Best thing to do is, is use the window. If you got a deer that you you know you're hunting very serious about, you know, just go in there when the wind's right. You think I think yeah. he's going to be here, and I think he's going to go there, and the wind's going to be you know in my favor. If he never smells you, and you don't stand there and wave at him, you know you, you, you may have, have a chance of killing yeah. him. Yep. If you, but I if, you get, if you get in there with him two or three days, and he knows you're there, he's going to change his behavior. Yep. Right. And you may only does. have one or two chances. And these old does, people don't believe it. When you hunt these old does, they become incredibly hard to hunt just just like a mature buck i mean they are survivors yep you know and it, when people go out there and they say we don't shoot does the does you'll just see them they'll just walk around you know and it's 
property I hunt, we don't shoot young bucks. And young bucks are just walking around everywhere. Yep. You know, they'll look up at you and just walk off. Like, yeah. you know, with a, so he knows you're there. He knows something's up. Yeah, but he hadn't been shot at. You but probably. you haven't made him mad. You haven't confused your scent with him being angry or, or fearful. Well, you hadn't made it lethal to him yeah. yet. Yeah, right. Right. Or his buddies. That's probably the only way to keep your scent from being non-offensive is, is when you get busted or when, when that four-pointer is 14 yards yeah. away, I'm not going to shoot at him. He's not even going to know that, that my smell is bad yet. He just yeah. knows that it's here. Well, I mean, look at deer in urban situations, and we got a lot of urban deer in Virginia. You know, people are not a threat to them. Right. And they'll just stand there. I mean, 20 yards, bucks are does, just stand there. People yell at them. Sometimes they won't even run off. You know, people are just a benign part of their environment. It'd be yeah. like a house cat or a car, mm-hmm. you know, other than, you know, so. Uh, got them all over my house right now. Okay. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not far from here either, and it's just, uh, it's, it amazes me because I'm not used to that. You know, yeah. where I go to the club and – a deer sees me, they take off running. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Know, they're gone. Like a scalded Or, you know, like when we hunt in Woodford, I think every deer walks around looking up in trees, I swear, yeah. because there's so many. <laughs> they don't many, look eye level you know, more They're they constantly looking yeah. in trees, yep. you know. Um, Absolutely. Which, uh, you know, you brought up, um, you know, something a, few, a couple minutes ago, which I think can kind of ease us into our next um, conversation, and that's about deer management. Um, you know, management programs, uh you know how how to how to really help maintain the the population on your property or in your club property. I know the game department has done an ex, you know great job, you know helping um, a lot of clubs and uh, landowners do this. Um, what uh, what can you start uh, just start telling us about deer management itself? Uh, it's complex. It can be complicated. Uh, deer left to their own devices, the deer population increases. Uh, in fact, I'd say that about most wildlife populations. Uh, deer tend to be unique in that they're a keystone species. And by keystone, I mean they can have a, a big effect on the environment. Yeah. They can, they can over-browse their environment. I don't know if anybody's ever seen a deer browse line. But when, they, when, they, when they're allowed to increase, they'll increase to high numbers, uh, people call it the biological carrying capacity. You can only put so many cows in so many acres of pasture. It's yeah. the same idea with deer in the woods. Sure. Uh, you know, and when they do that, not only does it impact deer condition, health, vigor, it also affects small mammals. You know, there's no cover on the ground, songbirds. So they're, they're, they're what we call a keystone species. And keystone species are, you know, don't, it's not mandated that they be managed, but there's a lot of reasons to manage them because they have effects on many other species. Yep. So deer, deer are a keystone species is related to habitat, and they can have devastating impacts on habitat, forest regeneration, crops, uh, deer vehicle collisions, and so forth and so on. So our deer program in Virginia is, is primarily set up, of course it provides millions of days of quality recreation if you're a deer hunter. But I would, I would go so far as to say the primary goal is to control deer populations across the Commonwealth, deer numbers. Right. Where we're allowed to get access to the deer herd, where they're hunted, we actually do a, a better than average job of controlling deer numbers. You know, last year, for instance, the deer hunters in Virginia killed a little north of 200,000, about 209,000 deer. You know, those, if, if the deer hunters hadn't been out there, and I'm not recommending this, but Did they you do your part in that? Oh, I guarantee yeah, you. Yeah, you know, my man. <laughs> <laughs> but I if, helped you out if, if, we hadn't, if we hadn't killed those, you know, most of those deer would have survived. And they'd have had more fawns, and then there'd have been more deer on the landscape, and that same thing would happen next year. So you know, we do help control deer populations over a large part of the Commonwealth, the deer numbers, 
And because of that, the deer are healthier, the habitats are healthier, and, and issues like deer vehicle collisions, crop damage, and so forth are all mitigated. The area where that's not done is on like refuges and in urban areas where hunters can't get to them. So that's where we have our biggest issues with deer management. But uh, so deer, num- deer management is primarily controlling numbers first. Now, once you start managing the numbers you want, then you can start man- manipulating deer herds for sex ratios. Yep. Uh, deer deer fawns are born, and of course, people argue this to the blue, but they're born about 50-50. For every two, you know, if, if you if you uh, had 100 fawns, you'd say you know 50 fawns, 50 buck fawns. Is, so uh, is one but, fawn harder to raise than the other? In, the, from in a, that 18-month cycle? From a doe's perspective, no. But believe it or not, when deer starve, buck fawns starve first because they tend to be about three or five pounds heavier. Okay. They have higher energetic needs. Right. The biggest reason I ask is that um, in waterfowl, a duck's female in the egg is harder to raise than a male yeah. in the egg, which I, I don't understand why, but I, the the buck and the doe from the womb to that 18-month window, they're on their own. They're, they're pretty much equal to they're raise. They're pretty much equal, I okay. think, okay. as far as energetics of the doe. Uh, so you got sex ratios, which can be manipulated through a hunter harvest. For instance, when I grew up many, many years ago, we just shot bucks, period. You know, just, antlers or you know, trophies. Yeah, you shoot you know, bucks. every every yep. buck you. Yeah, if it was legal, you shot it. You yeah, know, the idea yeah. of passing up a buck was just, I mean, that was alien stuff. So right. we shot. But what you do when you shoot all the bucks is you end up with all the does, because they're they're putting in you fifty fifty and you pick out you cherry pick out the bucks and then they put them fifty fifty and you cherry pick out the bucks yep. and what happens? 60, just, 40, 70, 30, yeah, yeah. 80, 20. Exactly. Yeah. You just yeah. end up with does and does and does. So conversely, if you shoot more does and pass up younger most people would call it quality deer management you know but you go in there and you select you don't select against bucks you start protecting bucks and selecting four does you can change the age structure and the sex ratio so that's you know we have a program called dmap yep that you're all familiar with yep uh having on the club and a dmap that's the deer management assistance program that's a deer management program we have for properties around the state over a million acres 600 700 cooperators in that program and most of those people practice quality deer management and it's pretty simple. The deer hunters, they want to control deer numbers, number one, which, is, of course, is our primary goal or objective. Control and stabilize all at the same time. Uh, most of them, yeah. Stabilize or control. Uh, and the second thing they want to do is they want to have more bigger and older bucks because that's just natural to a deer hunter. Who doesn't? Sure. Yeah, bigger, absolutely. Bigger and, of course, it's not rocket science. It's the very simplest thing in the world. If you want more bigger and older bucks, you got to quit shooting younger, smaller bucks. Sure. At some level. Now, you can do it totally. You know, you can go cold turkey and not shoot any of mm-hmm. them or have any kind of rule in the world. But what you're doing then is decreasing their mortality rates, increasing their survival rates, and there's more bucks out there. Yep. There's a chance of seeing a bigger, older one. Yeah. And, and our DMAP cooperators have been very over, – overall, now not all of them, but overall as a, as a group, we've written a bunch of papers. You know, they've, they've been able to meet their goals of having more, bigger, and older bucks. It works. I mean – if you uh, if if a club can get its members on board to do do the right things, and of course it's not going to be perfect. You know, we talked about yeah. that. You know, before the we started the podcast. I mean, it uh, it's doable. I mean, we've seen results at our place for the last two decades, and it, it's been incredible. I mean, yeah. we've uh, the 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 age of these deer. I mean, and and what's great is the the data that you guys provide after the season's over. Um, I mean, you can go back. We can go back twenty years and look at look at the numbers, and it, it's 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 awesome. It's raw, rich data that, that can you can learn a ton of information from. And you get a harvest report, like average age, average weight, 
You get all yeah, kinds of absolutely. stuff. Healthier herd as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. We've uh, we've kept that data since the late eighties. We've got almost seven hundred thousand deer wow. in that data set. I mean, it's incredible. When we, for instance, people want sometimes people say, "What's the average year and a half old buck weigh?" I can calculate it, and it's based on like seventy thousand deer. Right. If I, pretty good yeah. calculation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, you know, the, the standard errors of the confidence intervals are pretty tight, but uh, you know, so it, it's been a very successful program. The thing that's amazing to me is is is, is the evolution of deer hunting because when I grew up. I guess we understood that a buck could live to four and a half. None of them did. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. When I, when I, well, you, nobody shot four and a half year old bucks. If they did, everybody went from the county over to go see it. But now most of the deer hunters in Virginia, if they want to, are hunting for three and a half, four and a half year old bucks. Yep. I mean, that was just unheard of when I was oh, yeah. just 30 years ago. I mean, we just, I never dreamed that would, that free ranging deer herds. Now, I need to be very specific. Yeah. Right. Not high fences. Not high free fences. Range. Free ranging deer herds are, you know, that you could raise these deer to these ages. And, and we do it across the state what's the what's i don't know last 10 20 years what's the oldest deer that y'all have we only age them out to eight and a half eight and a half but uh that's because we use a technique and that now you could do a cementum where you cut the tooth and look like tree rings yeah uh there's when we call a deer eight and a half we're estimating age we're not aging it it could be a teenager yeah uh bucks don't have near the survival rate of does yeah. And does in Virginia don't have a tremendously high survival rate because we put a lot of pressure on does in Virginia. A yep. lot. A lot of pressure. Yeah. And a lot of that pressure is applied through the DMAP. Well, program. no, just through, the, just through the county regs. Okay. Yeah, no, just the county regs. Uh, Which brings me to my next point. <laughs> I'm going to speak as a Caroline County resident. Okay. Which is a county that has eight doe days or either sex days. And I work in Hanover County, which is a neighboring county, and so is Spotsylvania's neighboring county. Both wide open doe season. What do we need to do different? You know, I don't want to say I don't. I don't want you to be wrong, and I don't want me to be right. Oh, but no, what no. can we do different well, to, we, to assist with that? Or, or oh, what? Want, do you want more doe days in Carolina? Hell yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, could, you, the real question could you be more is, direct? Yeah. And the real and the real question. Well, I don't want to throw my whole county on yeah. the bus either. But well, the real question is, what determines? One county getting unlimited, okay. one county getting two weeks, one county getting eight days. It's a great question, and believe it or not, I've got an answer. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> in Caroline County, we actually went to full season either sex about a decade ago. I'd have to, I'd have to look at my data. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. And yeah. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. happened, and we did it intentionally. Sure. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It wasn't a mistake. We sure. did it. And because I remember I told you we wanted to knock these deer herds down back around 2008, 2009. And so we went to full season either sex. Our intention was to knock the private land deer herd on the private lands in the eastern part of the state down because they'd gotten we had a lot of problems with kill permits and complaints. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened was the same time we did that, we had an outbreak of hemorrhagic disease. It's terrible timing, yes, sir. Yeah. Well, and, and, it just, and nobody could avoid it. And it was in well, Carolina. You could you could have predicted, but that deer herd went much lower. I mean, it the Carolina deer kill went way down. It just yeah, countywide and all. So that's when we cut back. Now the reason we don't do the same thing. So that's re- that's why. Caroline County had this very liberal season. It's back to very conservative. It will probably yep. inch back up. You follow me? Yep. Because we'll try to control those deer numbers. But the, Caroline was very unique. It had we, – we hammered the deer herd, make no doubt, intentionally hammered the deer sure. herd. Then we had HD three out of five years. I, I think it's 12, 14, and 16. Which you never saw that coming. I mean, that's oh, no, just no, – you yeah. can't predict Yeah, it, it was, it was all that. very inconvenient timing. Sure. Well, it just – I was telling Hunter earlier, it, it's like running, but running with a, a tremendous – wind at your back we went faster yeah. and further than we wanted Absolutely. to right? but we couldn't have predicted the wind right so that's why we cut back there now spotsylvania and hanover i'd have to look at the data and they, uh the reason they have full season is human population people per square mile 
Okay. Carolina County, don't get me wrong, it's a beautiful county and all, but there's not many people in Carolina County. Correct. Right. In fact, if it went for Bowling Green, I'd go so far Easy. to say Hey, well, I'm from Ladysmith. <laughs> Bowling Green people are funny. <laughs> but what I'm saying is they're just it's just a rural county. Very yeah. much so. Very rural. So, very yeah. rural. You're not going to say that about Spotsylvania County. No. Or Hanover County. Correct. Or Hanover, yeah. Now the, uh, my, so we try to maintain lower – you follow me? Yeah. To yeah. my view is – That 95 corridor, we don't want more deer – Coming down to Richmond, Hanover, sure. Spotsylvania, Stafford, Prince William, Fairfax, we do not need more deer. On the Interstate 95. The Urban Crescent. Yeah. Everybody yeah. Heard, knows sure. about the Urban Crescent. Yeah. Yep. We're not managing for a single more deer in the Urban Crescent. So my view of the three counties is certainly completely different than a lot of other people's. But I look at – because I live in the western part of Carolina, west of 95. Okay. So I look at the the – Caroline, Spotsylvania, Hanover line all looks exactly the same. Now, the Hanover, where we're in right now, is significantly grown up, and the Spotsylvania at Route 3 is significantly grown up, and Caroline doesn't quite have that that grown-up part of it. Yep. You know, you can still have a bunch of six, seven, eight hundred thousand 800,000 uh, uh, acre farms, and they're all scattered all out through Partlow, Bumpus, Beaverdam, uh, Ladysmith area where I'm at. So the Caroline I see is not the Carolina that other people see, and same with the Spotsylvania and Hanover. So that yeah. makes a lot of sense how you want to you want to shoot them all up and down the populated areas because you want fewer cars get hit and fewer accident reports. Yeah. And, and I certainly understand that now. Yeah, that's it's, it's trust me. Uh, you know, like I say, I, I understand that not all Hanover counties are like. If sure. you move out west, it gets more rural, and the same could be safe for Spotsylvania. But yeah. I think anybody but using anybody, a anybody would agree on, anybody would agree on that ninety five corridor. There's just a growth of people absolutely oh, yeah in both counties just insane yep you know and so we don't need more deer now you said well what about western hanover if, if there was a way you could split it and do it but i mean yeah. our regs are complicated enough already you know so when we say hanover reduce you follow me yep uh Spotsylvania reduce prince william stafford reduce prince william fairfax Carolina probably stabilized. I'd have to look at our. So that makes it i never understood but that makes a lot more sense now yeah. it's, it's we, we, people and deer don't mix I mean, don't get me wrong, they mix, but when you get a lot of people, you begin to get issues. Non-hunters and deer don't mix well. Well, just, yeah, but just even hunters, I mean, if, they're, if, you, if you're a hunter and you've wrecked three cars this year because of deer, believe it or not, you begin, you, begin you, to don't, you, don't, have to, you don't have to hit but one or two deer <laughs> yeah. and, and, and have your life totally turned upside down, your sure. car in the shop. Yeah. You know, before. Absolutely. Trust me, it's not just non-hunters. It's, uh, you know, deer, deer, that's the neat thing about deer in Virginia is, you know, a lot of people may not know we have cerulean warblers, may not, you know, but everybody in Virginia knows we have deer and most of them have a opinion about deer. Some are benign, but, you know, they either have positive experiences, like take the kids out in the loop, view them, or they try to grow a garden and they can't grow nothing in their garden. You follow me? Yep. Or yep. somebody hit some. So, you know, deer impact all 8 million plus Virginians. You know, there's a lot of wildlife species. One way species. or the other. One way yeah. or the other, positive or negative. But, you know, you can't say that for cottontail rabbits or, right. or something, yeah. I guess. Well, like the, the warblers, like you said. Yeah, well, People yeah. don't even know they exist. But, but you know, there's deer, again, they're a keystone species. Mm-hmm. They're not They're not like all these, you know, gray squirrels. I mean, everybody likes gray squirrels until they get in your bird feeder, I guess. Hmm. What, um, I'm, I'm glad you brought that's that a, up. That's, that that's, answered that's a really an excellent good question. Answer. Um, that's it's not the intro I was looking for, but it's but on, it's as far good. as deer management goes, uh, you know, a lot of people look at deer management as uh, as growing bucks, you know, no. making their antlers no. bigger. No, <laughs> that's not deer management. That's right. It's a it's a piece of deer. It's like it's like a pizza, it's a slice of the deer management, but that's not deer management. Right. 
That's what that's what a lot of people see it as. That's not what it is at all. Sure. But that's not. I can tell you from the Department of Wildlife Resources staff, that's not how we view deer management. Right. Now we produce big bucks, these beautiful deer, like you know people have in their offices, but that's not the goal. That's not the objective. It's a byproduct of our program. You follow? It's not yeah, absolutely. The, it's not. It's not where we're going. It, it, it just happens when we get to where we're going. Right. Does that make sense? It does. Oh, yeah. Okay. Makes a. You know, if you look at our deer management plan, you'll see nothing about big bucks. Right. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. There won't be anything in there. You know, produce lots of big bucks. Yeah. Produce, you know, produce, you know, there's nothing in there. It's healthy kind deer of her, healthy deer herds and balance with their. It's just a, it's just kind a, of added benefit. a positive byproduct yep, exactly. of, of, of good quality deer yep. management. Yeah, of sound deer um, management. Yeah. yeah. And um, killing does, of course, is a big part of that. Well, and, that's how and, you control deer numbers. And, and, and controlling the numbers. Um, I guess where I was going was – for people that think in terms of antler growth, antler size, that are because there's a, I'm sure there's a, I'd love to know the stats on it, but there's probably a percentage of people that hunt for meat in the state, and then there's people that hunt for trophies. And of course, they still they still eat the meat, but there's there's different. Uh, I guess there's a different team there. You know what I mean? Um, kind of a trophy hunter or a sport hunter. Yeah, versus exactly. The, versus versus the pe- people old school meat right. hunter. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I, I hunt for both reasons. You know, I hunt because I I love being out in the woods, and I mean, I love deer, I love venison, uh, but I'm also I'm also after big bucks too. You know, that's yeah. I, it's 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 part of a challenge, mm-hmm. and it's uh it's always uh it's, it's been fun to do. Um, it's good to have a blend because the biggest one is normally not the best tasting one. Yeah, so that's having, true. Playing both sides of the fences, it's yeah. a pretty right. good time to do it. But um. You know, what do you think the chances are for a buck to reach its full potential antler growth, or what are some obstacles that would get in the way of that? Is what I'm what I'm going after, and because uh, a lot of people ca- thirty caliber bullets, two seventy bullets, two fifty seven bombers, two forty three. Yeah, you brought up uh, you you brought up <laughs> arrows. One, yeah, you brought up in one of your articles I read that said it was something about salt licks and. Um, you know, Mineral uh, minerals, sites. mineral sites and stuff. It's, if it doesn't help a deer get any older, it's not really helping the deer. Yeah, our deer are, are lacking for minerals or salt. Now, will they use them? Yes, but mostly used by does. Right. And, and is that a petri dish for infection? Absolutely. My man. Okay. That is the answer I was looking for. Yeah, we would, we would, we would <laughs> you know, we're, anybody knows anything about Virginia's deer program, we're against feeding and baiting deer. And we've got, we've been against it for 30 years. But now with chronic wasting disease, we've become zealots. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're we're not we well, were never on the fence. And but people, but people need to understand that. And, yeah. and I don't think people understand that that reasoning behind it. You know, yeah. because they they buy they better buy a salt lick or a mineral lick or the deer cocaine or whatever it is. They get you some good. pictures. They want to get good pictures, but they don't realize the danger in that. Yeah. Well, it's you know the the thing about mineral licks. We'll just talk about mineral salt licks. But it's the same thing with a bait pile. Is, is it doesn't introduce disease into a system. Right. But if the disease gets in the system, it amplifies it. It amplifies it. So, yeah. you know, it's not we're not worried about salt licks bringing in. Now, sure. with, with urine products, we were worried about diseases being brought in when we outlawed the natural urines. But, uh, for instance, the state of Wisconsin, if you know anything about CWD and deer, Wisconsin's sort of the, the poster child for how bad it can go. And they did these mineral licks, and I'm going to make up a number, but it was three-quarters of them were positive for CWD. Wow. Because, see, they, in these states up there, and I've been to Pennsylvania, they've used these mineral – the, these hunt clubs and sportsman societies have maintained these mineral licks for over 100 years. You can drive an F-150 pickup truck into these mineral licks. That's that's how big the hole is wow. now. <laughs> you know, but what, what's happening is these deer for generations, for over 100 years, have been going and using this lick. 
Now it's got CWD in it. I mean, that's the worst part. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and now the 25 uh, healthy percent are getting thrown into it. Now it's 100%. Well, every deer, in the, every deer within sure. the range of that thing is coming to it. Now and they're just going to lick the, they're licking the walls, and the walls are CWD laden. Yep. And, of course, with COVID, everybody understands now. Everybody has a real appreciation. <laughs> yeah, of sure. infection. Of course, CWD is not a virus, by the way. Right. But everybody has an appreciation for, you know, the contagious how contagious these diseases can be and how they can be spread. Now, when they, if you were to put out a salt block or a mineral lick or, or whatever it may be, is that really pulling in deer? No. It's just attracting the deer you already have. Yeah. If it's in a deer's home range, they use it, but they don't have like a pegboard in the woods. You know, if you move over here a mile, there's a, you know, okay. they, it, same thing with food plots or, or, or bait piles or mineral licks. If it's in their area they use, they'll find it and use it. But, but they it's don't, not going to draw a deer hunter, from two you miles. Pay, you know, yep. They don't go through the woods saying, man, you ain't going to believe it. You know, there's an ice cream place over there that's yeah. the best ice cream <laughs> in the world. Yeah. Oh, you know, I'll move Free. over there. Yeah. Right. yeah. If it's okay. 100 yards out where they live, it's like it's not, it doesn't exist to them. Okay. So which one uh, do you think is the, the the biggest, would be the biggest problem for the Virginia deer herds? Deer herds, CWD or hemorrhagic? Both. Both. One One's an annual... Uh, Immediate impact. One is a very serious long-term negative impact. Uh, you know, so if you got HD in Carolina this year and half the deer die, you know you're going to be pretty upset about it. Half, oh, yeah. the, half the deer are gone because the recovery time. But, but, long, going, yeah. but long-term CWD is probably a more serious uh, because hemorrhagic disease comes and goes. It's like hurricanes. You know, right. most people around here have. If you live to be 40, 60 years old, you've had a hurricane come by or come close. Yep. You know, that's like hemorrhagic disease. It's here and there, it's gone, it comes and goes. But the deer herd recovers. Once CWD gets in the area, you know, all our current data is there and it's just going to grow and grow and get worse and worse. So uh, they're both bad long term CWD. What uh, one of my questions uh, that I had written down was what can you tell hunters out there, beginners, veterans, whatever, um, if you find a deer that what what are some signs to look for? Well, maybe maybe you shouldn't eat this deer that you just took on. I mean, you can. I mean, I think a lot of people know what a survivor of a hemorrhagic disease. There's yeah. some indicators there, but what do you what do you recommend? Well, any deer that's just obviously sick or ill, you know, uh, deer hunt, people that are not deer hunters want to say I, I always talk about smell test. If you've cleaned uh-huh. and gutted enough deer, you know the. You know, a deer carcass has a certain smell. If you, Something's you know, if, wrong if with it. If it yeah. doesn't smell right, it's not right. right. Don't yeah. consume it. Right. Now, CWD, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a target deer or, that we'd like to look at and test. And, of course, the good news is, uh, hopefully, in, outside of the areas we have CWD, you won't see this. But if you did, what you're looking for, a deer has, uh, that's emaciated, starving, you know, it's chronic wasting, wasted away, you know, just looks like a skeleton. It'll be showing neurological systems. It'll be standing in like a sawhorse. It'll be trembling. Its head will be shaking. Its ears will be down. It'll be completely out of it. Uh, it might be drooling. You right. know, any 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 p- member of the public that sees a deer like that should probably contact us because we'll probably try to sample it. Because if CWD is out there somewhere, we want to find it. Yeah. Find it. Remove it. Find yeah. it. Well, no, well, nobody, yeah. <laughs> nobody's. No, that's that, that's the bad news is, with the exception of one state, which may you know may or may not have been a fluke. Nobody's removed it. It's uh, it's like a cancer; it grows. Hmm. And a CWD deer is not safe to eat, or is safe to eat. You you could have a panel of experts speak for two hours. The World Health Organization and the CDC says that 
deer that have chronic wasting disease shouldn't be consumed. And what they do is they advise hunters in areas that are known to have CWD to have their deer tested. There's a test you can get. But that test is, is, is interesting because that test is not positive or negative. That test is positive. It comes back positive. That means that deer had CWD. It doesn't come back negative. It comes okay. back not detected, Okay, right. which means it could have had it could've in an early it. stage and yeah. just doesn't have enough of the, the, the prion. It's not a right. yes or no It's not. Answer. It was not positive or negative. Mm-hmm. But the, So right now, the World Health Organization and the CDC, that's their recommendation to hunt, deer hunters. You know, if you deer hunt in an area where you think there's, where you know or think there'll be CWD might be occurring, in that case, you'd be talking about, you could look in our digest, we call them disease management areas. You know, they would recommend that hunters have their deer tested prior to consuming it. Okay. That's an excellent answer. Yeah, thank you. So we talked about um, the management part. Um, that was a good touch on the natural deer scent, too. Yeah, well, that you know, people... Well, you know, a lot of people got upset about that, but yeah. I, I, I can... I, it was a no-brainer. I understand. Yeah, I mean, I understand. Whether like it or totally don't like it, I do it. understand it. Yeah. 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 I was never a big, uh, I, I I never used attractants very much. I mean, I I well, kind of just go well, on. We still allow attractants. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, whether it's apple scent or synthetic or yeah, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. You yeah. think Foxier. it's you feel it's as good as the real deal? Oh, I don't use them. I you know okay. I'm not, I'm not going to be sitting here telling you which one to use or not use. But the the, the outlawing the natural sense was a no brainer because remember I said earlier a mineral lick's not going to introduce yep. CWD into a system. Right. A natural urine. Could introduce it. Could introduce it. And so that was, and think about it. You go out there and pour some of this natural deer urine on whatever, walk in the woods. If a deer comes up to it, what's the first thing he's going to do? Shove his face in it and lick it. There you go. (laughs) That's exactly right. You know, so, I mean, it was, you know, people got upset and and there were people upset. Probably people still upset. But from our our perspective, where we sit, it was a no, I mean, this was just a black and white. We don't need. We don't need to be pouring potentially. Sure. Pouring CWD strions all take a over chance. the state of and Virginia. I think that's the I thing that our, some of our customers and a lot of upset people. I don't. I don't know why. They, I don't know why they don't just do this. Did this forever. Did this forever. But now having an answer, whether they have one before or not, having one now. Well, I still don't like it, but I understand it. Well, at, at least the, they the know prions why. Are, are excreted in urine, saliva, feces, and probably snot, or you know nasal discharge so mm-hmm. that, you know that's where deer transmitting this stuff you know and if, is it in urine well absolutely it's in urine and some people tell me well, there's not enough for a, a minimum dose nobody knows what the minimum dose is right. prions are in urine we don't need to be pouring prions across the landscape mm-hmm. in Virginia. right black and white yeah well hey uh we gotta we're running out of time matt uh, i want to i want to pick this up again and on another episode um thanks for thanks for coming by today and I appreciate you being here. Uh, awesome information. Uh, we got a lot more to discuss on part two of this. All right, so uh, stay tuned for part two, everyone. Um, Matt will be back, and we're gonna uh, we, we got a lot more information and uh, some good stuff coming at you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Green Top Outdoors podcast. Hunting, fishing, and all things outdoors. It's not just a hobby; it's a lifestyle. Like and subscribe to the Green Top Outdoors podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and learn more about Green Top at greentophuntfish.com.